0: So, Deanna just read to us uh, the first 13 verses there of chapter 2. You know, we covered uh, last week the first seven, as Andy preached to us uh, from those verses. So, I'm going to be picking up in verse 8 here this morning. And I'm actually decided that I'm going to stop in verse 10 and come back to 11 to 13. I actually decided that's going to be what, I, what we're going to look at together on Easter Sunday. So, we're going to focus on verses 8 to 10 this morning. Um, and, uh, and really focus in on this uh, idea as we continue continuing to discuss Paul encouraging Timothy not to be afraid of suffering for the sake of the Gospel, not to be afraid of suffering for the sake of Christ. And just uh, evaluate that more this morning and consider this. I, I titled the, the message this morning The Evangelistic Effect of Endurance in Suffering uh, that, that we'll see in this text and, and others as Paul is, is encouraging Timothy there's a purpose in the suffering that goes beyond just us. That, that There's actually an effect in the world uh, that they need to see. and That they will only see as we suffer. Which sounds really strange and hard to comprehend. Uh, but I hope to explain that this morning as we walk through the text. Someone wrote, once wrote this, unless you experience suffering, you cannot know hope. Unless you experience suffering, you cannot know hope. So here's the question, how do we experience hope? How do we discover hope in our suffering? Could there be a God-oriented purpose in our suffering? And could suffering, our suffering be more for others than for ourselves? I trust the Lord will give us at least some insight into some of those questions. What I'm going to do this morning as we walk through the text, though, is I'm going to do it a little bit differently than I usually do. Here's a little insight into how I normally construct a sermon, by the way. If any of you are interested in teaching the Bible, what I try to do is, after the exegesis of a text, I try to come up with a main idea. What's the author here saying? What's God communicating to us? Can I summarize that in like a sentence? What's the main thrust of this text? And then my supporting points, and you know, I'm pretty good at, the, uh, at, at sticking with the three-point sermons. You guys have probably noticed that. Those supporting points are there to point back to that main idea of the text and then, and then bring about some kind of contextualized application. So that's what I usually do. You're going to notice this morning's sermon is a little bit different. What I'm going to do this morning is I just want to ask some application questions as they arise from the text. So there's not a a, a main idea per se uh, or supporting uh, structure here. Just some questions that I was asking this week as I was going through this text. And here's the first one. Why does suffering seem to be so intrinsically linked to Gospel ministry? Paul's been talking about that a lot uh, as he's been writing here to Timothy over the last chapter and a half so far. There's this link. Why? And and he says that here in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering. Bound with chains as a criminal. He says I'm suffering. I'm bound with chains as a criminal because I'm proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's this link between suffering and gospel ministry. Now we've discussed that previously in sermons throughout 2 Timothy here, but I think it's worth revisiting again. Despite the the predominant teaching of much of the the Western church, most of the American church, which I think would often have us consider the benefits of following Christ without often evaluating the costs. Despite that, the words of Scripture are very different. And they're very true. By the way, I, I considered a subtitle for the message this morning being a corrective for the comfortable church. I think that's what this text is. It's a corrective for the comfortable. Here's what the Word of God says. If you look over into the next chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Suffering seems to be intrinsically linked with gospel ministry, with following Christ. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what Paul says. But it's it's not just Paul. This is the clear teaching of Jesus Himself. Luke chapter 21 Verse 12 and 16 and 17, He says, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Jesus talking about uh, the the persecutors of the world. He's talking to His disciples. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you'll be brought before kings and governors for My name's sake. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So again we 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 actually looked at a verse similar to that a couple weeks ago as we were talking about suffering for the cause of Christ. But there's this question that just keeps coming up as though why is it that way? Why why suffering? Why does God not only seem to allow that but but purpose that for us as believers you would think that coming to to faith in christ would be to be delivered from suffering that's what salvation sounds like to me right and 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 we know that that's true we read earlier what's coming revelation 21 there is no more suffering there's no more pain there's no more tears but not yet not yet why not why is there suffering for the believer so if you've been around Edgewater long enough, you've probably heard me use this analogy before. I keep coming back to it because I find it so personally helpful in just understanding why suffering in the world. Why for the Christian in particular, suffering in the world. And the analogy is this. I, I have this, this, this sort of image in my mind of a, of a mountain. And at the, the top of this mountain, at the apex, is, is the point of creation. It's the Garden of Eden. It's, it's God's intent for humanity. He creates Adam and Eve perfect in this perfect garden and there's, they're given perfect fellowship with God and, and all is right and well, right? And, and yet, they sin. They turn their back on God and the minute that they do that, a curse enters into the world. And, we, what, and so this this picture of the mountain in my mind is I see this picture of sort of like avalanche at that point. Everything begins to slide down the mountain. It's sliding away from what god had intended for his creation and so that slide if we think about it has two there's two causes to that slide one is that the 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 effect of sin in the world the effect of brokenness just causes everything to deteriorate that's why in in genesis chapter 3 god talks about the curse everything is cursed not just humanity is cursed but the earth is cursed the ground is cursed Life itself, everything that we see in creation is crumbling. And the Bible is just full of descriptions of that. And so that, that there's this, this slide away, this constant sort of landslide, destructive power at work. But it's, what's also at work then is human culpability in that destruction. We are, as sinful people, we are, we are uh, no longer desiring to follow the Lord. We desire to follow ourselves. We, we, we want to run away from Him. Our natural inclination as sinners is self-glory and rebellion against our Maker. So we're not just caught up in this slide of things. I sort of have this picture like we're out in front of it. We're the ones who stepped on the ground that caused the avalanche to happen in the first place. And that's not to say that, that as, as, as that slide is happening that, that we are... Uh, content with the slide. I think anybody can recognize that as things are broken in the world, as things are going wrong, that, that there's something wrong about that. But rather than wanting to turn and go back to the one who made us in repentance, we want to sort of just try to outrun the slide. We think we can outrun it on our own. That's the state of humanity. And so when we come to Christ, What happens is Jesus turns us around. He redeems us from that brokenness and he calls us now by his power and through the strength of his spirit into a walk actually back upwards towards our maker. We are turned. We are, we are remade. We're redeemed. And as we are moving upward now in this broken world that's constantly sliding away from God, when you turn around in the midst of a, of a landslide, what's going to happen? you're heading the other way, friction happens. Suffering is going to happen. You are are being hit all the time by the slide away from holiness as you are being directed back towards it. That's sort of the simple explanation for suffering in this world. Until such time as the brokenness ceases, those who are going against it in Christ will always run into the slide, the friction, the pain, and the suffering. And particularly, when our turning away from the slide is a reminder to those who are running the other direction that they're going the wrong way. And as, that, as our lives in Christ proclaim to a broken world and to sinners around us that you're going the wrong way and they're trying to outrun it, it's offensive. That's why persecution. Your life, believer, as you walk in holiness, is a proclamation to the world around you that they are condemned apart from the saving grace of Christ. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for My name's sake. You'll even be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for My name's sake. Because your life in Christ is a testimony against them. That's why suffering is intrinsically linked with gospel ministry. The gospel is a reminder in the world that the world is broken. Now, what is interesting to me is that not only does Paul remind Timothy of this and, 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 and talk to him about enduring in that suffering... But he also indicates to Timothy that that suffering will advance the Gospel. How does suffering work to advance the Gospel? Look at what he says at the end of verse 9. He says, I am suffering for Christ. I am bound, but the Word of God is not bound. Paul gives a a very interesting and needed perspective here. Though he's bound and very literally, he is in a prison cell. He is in chains. He is bound literally for the sake of the gospel. He's saying the gospel's not hindered. In fact, Paul understands that it is uniquely because of his chains, uniquely because he is bound, that the gospel message is made even more powerful. How? Well, his suffering creates opportunities for the sufficiency and the goodness of the Word of God to be proclaimed and demonstrated in ways that would not otherwise have happened. And he speaks of that as he writes to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter two. Chapter, excuse me, Philippians chapter one, verses twelve to fourteen. He says, "I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me." Again, being imprisoned, being bound, being persecuted has really served to advance the Gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the Word without fear. So get this. As we, as we you know, consider that suffering is part of the Christian life, that suffering and gospel ministry are intrinsically linked, and sometimes that may cause us, like Timothy, he's afraid with Timothy, to be afraid to suffer, to want to run from that. Paul reminds him here, you know, the gospel can actually be advanced by our suffering. In other words, there's a power in a message worth suffering and dying for. I think what he's trying to tell Timothy and the Philippians is this. If you want to know what's worth living for, and all of us do, right? If you want to know what's worth living for, you ultimately have to find something that's worth dying for. And to see someone, for the world to see someone with that knowledge who's willing to put their money where their mouth is, and suffer and die for what they know is worth living for, that's a very compelling testimony of value. Because it tells the world this, Christ takes our greatest fear and turns it into our greatest hope. What's the worst thing that can happen to us? Death. That's the curse. That's that's the end of, of all things in, in sin, right? Death. Is the, is the wage of sin. Death is the end. But Christ can take our greatest fear, death, and turn it into our greatest hope because in Christ, death is the doorway to life, to eternity, to being set free from all that binds us and into this world that we read about in Revelation 21. God is with us. No more pain, no more sin, no more tears. Freedom. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. So how does suffering work to advance the Gospel? In our suffering, again, we're able to show, we're able to demonstrate that we know of a hope that's greater. And that is a compelling testimony. That's a compelling testimony. People want to know, what is it that you're willing to suffer for? How is it that you're willing to endure this? How is it that this persecution doesn't deter you? we can say with confidence, because we have a greater hope. Christ is our hope. Now only ask this, what about other forms of suffering? This isn't in the text, but I think it's worth asking. What about other forms of suffering, like sickness? or poverty, or maybe unanswered prayer? What if the oppression that you're experiencing isn't, isn't necessarily persecution for the sake of Christ, it's just oppression from the brokenness of the world? How do we view that kind of suffering? I think that's an important question to address. Again, it's not what Paul's talking about here. Those those kinds of sufferings aren't in and of themselves suffering for the name of Christ. It's not necessarily that you're suffering for the Gospel there and therefore there's some explanation for how that suffering works. or Why it's there. Why it works to advance the Gospel. But it's still a present reality for the believer, isn't it? Some of you are suffering this morning. And I think what we can at least glean from the Scriptures, and even from this text, is that again, there's opportunity in that suffering for the Word of God to not be bound. There's opportunity in in, in all kinds of suffering for the believer, for us to give a testimony to the world around us that we have hope that's greater than our suffering. That we recognize, yes, this world is broken. There's a lot of things that have gone wrong, but Christ has entered into it. He's redeemed us. He's pulling us back out of it. And the goal, the end place of that hope is the top of the mountain again. So there there is hope in our suffering. And there's opportunity in all of that suffering for the Word of God to be proclaimed. Haven't you noticed that? God gives you opportunity when something really difficult is going on in your life. And people are asking you about it and you're able to say something to them about the hope that you have in Christ. Have you not noticed that there are opportunities that wouldn't have been there otherwise? For you to talk about the love of God, the goodness of God, the hope of Christ? God works in that mysterious way. Suffering works in God's providence to advance the Gospel. And therefore, He can say to Timothy, endure it. Don't be afraid for it. God has a purpose in this. How long? How long will we suffer? Verse 10, he says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So yes, Timothy, yes, church, suffering is intrinsically linked to Gospel ministry. Yes, there's a purpose in that. God God uses it. Somehow God uses that to advance the Gospel in ways that wouldn't happen without it. So therefore, how long will we have to endure it? Well, Paul says, I endure it for the sake of the elect. In other words, until they're all brought in. Suffering will continue in this world until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, it'll be because in God's economy all of the work is completed. Every believer, all of the elect, all that He has preordained from the beginning of time to belong to Him, to know Him, they will all have come in. And at that point, it will be over. Until such time, God uses His followers to be those who are the mouthpieces of that good news for the elect who have not yet heard and have not yet responded. And so Paul says, look, we're going to do this as long as it takes until Jesus comes back because God's using this for their benefit. He's not done yet. He wants to proclaim the Gospel through your lives. So to know that up front is a tremendously helpful guide, right? There's purpose in this. There's a reason for it. And it will continue until such time as the lord comes back. And so what he says to Timothy here in all of this is how do you how are you sustained then in all of this? And he says this in verse 8. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. What does it mean to remember Jesus? I think first of all it means this. It means remember His life. Hebrews 5. In the days of His flesh, Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son... He learned obedience through what He suffered. And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Remember Jesus' life. Jesus endured suffering. And it was by that suffering, we're told, in a remarkable way, Andy brought this up last week, that He learned obedience through what He suffered. Jesus is both our example and our empowerer. Remember His life. This is how He's our example. It's through this suffering, it's through this endurance that Jesus learned obedience. And likewise, for you, believer, it will be the same way. Follow the example of your elder brother Jesus. 1 Peter 2, When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Remember His life. Though Jesus was constantly being attacked and persecuted and reviled, He entrusted Himself, not to the world's opinion, but to God who judges justly. God is my judge. Therefore, I will not react against this world. I'll trust in the hope I have in the Father. Jesus is our example in that. Remember His life. Hebrews 12, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such Hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Remember his life. He endured. Don't grow weary. Don't grow faint hearted. Jesus is no stranger to suffering, he's the suffering servant. He knows our sufferings because he endured them to the greatest degree. So remember the life of Jesus. He is our example. He's also our empowerer. And we remember that by remembering His death. Remember His death. There is redemption that comes through and only through suffering. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Hebrews 13, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. And you know Isaiah 53, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Christ suffered in His death in order to heal us. That's how we receive the grace of God. He died the death we deserve for our own sin. That's grace, right? Extended to us. And Ephesians 1 tells us that the ultimate purpose of everything, get this, is to display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. That's God's ultimate purpose in in all things to display the greatness of the glory of His grace. And the highest, clearest, surest display of that glory is in the suffering of the best person who ever lived, the best person in the universe for millions of undeserving sinners. And so, the reason, the ultimate reason why suffering exists, is so that Christ might display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God by His own suffering, so that He will overcome our suffering and bring about the praise of the glory of the grace of God. So remember His death. Remember His death, Timothy. Remember His death, church. This is through the suffering of Christ that we're empowered to receive the grace of God. And finally, remember His victorious resurrection. Suffering gives way to freedom. Romans 6 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here in 2 Timothy, Chapter 2, verse 11, the saying is trustworthy. If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. O oh, death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So remember His life remember His death, remember His victory. Jesus is our example and our empowerer. By His suffering, we've received the grace of God. And only by that suffering is the grace of God possible, possibly given. And so when we remember that, and we're invited to step into and identify with and share in the sufferings of Christ we're invited to receive and experience the grace of God in such a way that makes the glories of heaven far more recognizable and appreciated and enjoyed than would have been possible apart from that grace through suffering. So suffering for the name of Christ is a normal part of the Christian experience. And again, that's where I think the reminder to the comfortable church needs to be continually given. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian experience. But as Paul says to Timothy, we should never be afraid to suffer. That's where we identify with and share in Christ's sufferings. That's where in Him, we find what it truly means to live. Because that's where we find the grace that leads to glory. If you want to find something worth living for, you ultimately need to find something that's worth dying for. And Jesus is the only person who fulfills both and does not disappoint. First Peter 4, Beloved, So this simple message for us, church, as we hear the Word of God, as we're reminded regularly over and over again that suffering for Christ is a normal part of the experience and there's purpose in it. We're reminded of this. The world needs to see something that's worth dying for in order to see the one, Jesus, who is truly worth living for. So when you ask the question, why am I suffering? Why am I enduring this? How long will I endure this? Be reminded of that. The world needs to see by the way you suffer well, with the hope that you have in your suffering, your greatest fear has been turned into your greatest hope. That the one who's worth dying for is worth living for. So may we suffer well, church. And as you endure that together, as we endure that together, may we remind one another of that constantly. You're not suffering pointlessly. You're not suffering because God has turned His back on you. You're not suffering because your faith isn't great enough or for some other reason that God is trying to prove a point to you. You're suffering because you exist in a broken world, living for Jesus Christ, and there will be friction. Endure it for the sake of hope. Not for just you, but for those who need to see that hope. Amen? Father, I pray that You'd help us to believe that. And I'm, I'm very mindful, Father, that as I, as I stand up here and I give this message this morning, that I'm staring at the faces of, of many who are suffering. Some are suffering for the name of Christ. Some are suffering just because they exist in a broken world. And Lord, it, it's hard. Like Timothy, it's hard not to, to lose heart. It's hard not to be afraid. So thank You for the words of the Apostle Paul. Thank You for, for, for his life experience that he could, he could speak as a mentor to Timothy and therefore to us and say, endure it. We have hope. And the world needs to see it. Thank You for Your Son who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross despise the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God even now, Lord. That He intercedes for us even now. That that in our sufferings, He is not absent, but He is present. And using those things to give us an experience of grace that we wouldn't have received otherwise. We have to thank You for that, Lord. Help us to, to, to thank You for that. And Lord, would You use us? Would we be a people who suffer well? So that those who are sliding down in the mudslide of sin, even as they might revile us, would stop and say, what is it about that hope that they have that they're willing to endure? Who is this Jesus? May His name be proclaimed. May the Word of God never be bound even as we are. And thank you that it never will be. You are good, Lord. Sustain us in our weakness. Guide us in your hope. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.